This is the Chiefs' official podcast network. Take advantage of the day. When you get an opportunity in this game, you make a play. The playmakers on three. One, two, three. Touchdown, Kansas City. The Chiefs are right in the thick of it, baby. Welcome to this playoff edition of Defending the Kingdom. Mitch Holters with you, voice of the Chiefs, along with the man we call the shop, a.k.a. Barbershop, a.k.a. the Spider. It is Sean Barber, 10-year National Football League veteran. As this Defending the Kingdom episode, it's go time. It's time for divisional playoff football. A reminder that our Chiefs Podcast Network is brought to you by 360 Vodka, the official vodka of the Kansas City Chiefs. All right, Barbershop, it is go time. Chiefs have waited two weeks to play, getting the bye and the two-seed in the AFC, and it's Houston, 2.05 Central Time, start at Arrowhead Stadium. But honestly, I just hearken back all the way to training camp and talking to Frank Clark this week. He was saying we're everything now. We talk about playoff speed. But he goes, things that coaches emphasize all the way back in OTAs and training camp gets magnified in this environment. Man, the, the magnification of uh, the, the magnifying glass is going to be out, and it's going to be at an all-time high. All eyes. There's only eight teams left. Four teams move on. So, you know, from a national standpoint, everybody's waiting to see this matchup, right? Mahomes versus Deshaun Watson. There's so many different um, 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 battles going on within the battle of the game. Um, and we want to talk about, you know, per- per- perfection, right? How, you know, is there is there when you're making strides and goals and, 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 and making, you know, uh, practice preparation and everything to, for this game to come up. How do you do that? What kind of mentality? We hear the landlord, Honey Badger, talking about the, the, the mentality of the team going into a week of practice. Um, you always hear teachers saying, you know, practice makes perfect. But my mom was a teacher, and she always told me, no, no, practice doesn't make per- perfect. Practice makes permanent. Mm. When we talk about permanent, we talk about a consistent level of play, playing at a high level Every down, realizing how that can affect the outcome of the game and understanding how that concept of complementary football that we've been talking about for now 17, 18 weeks since training camp is so important to a Chiefs win on Sunday. But it's really come to uh, fruition in the last six games of the regular season. Complementary football, the best example of it in the NFL, has been the Kansas City Chiefs. But now here come the Texans. We talk about getting a fast start in every game. There are just some opponents where it seems to be more paramount than others. But my fast start, I'm going to redefine barbershop, is not just the fast start to a game. Mm-hmm. You mentioned, and coaches just hearkened on this all week long, that this is going to be an every snap game. Houston has proven that. They proved it on October 13th. The Chiefs were up 17-13. They did not change their expression. They just kept chopping wood beat the Chiefs. They did it last week against Buffalo, down 16 to nothing. They just keep chopping away. But I'm talking about starting the game, yes, but not only starting the game, starting every series, starting every new uh, possession, starting every quarter, starting every half. Let me just give it a couple of examples here. The Chiefs get off the fast starts. They're tied for second in the league with 54 points on first offensive possessions. Uh, with Houston, they struggle. This is a good offense. You've just mentioned some names there, but they're tied for 30th in the league. They're near the bottom, only 13 points on first offensive possessions. So let's start there. And, yes, getting off to a good start overall in the game in all three phases. Well, a fast start, you know, it's important to set the tempo of the game. And every game, you you, you know, it's these big mo- momentum swings. But we understand it's playoff football. There's going to be moment. Everybody's good now. There's no glaring weaknesses in any team. Um, so how do you start fast? Confidence in the game plan. 
and that's one thing Andy Reid has been so magnificent about his entire career. Um, and we talk about his record coming off of a bye week, his record with, 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 with preparation, with time to prepare more than uh, three or four days for a team. He's able to uh, uh, break down and, and find the little weak crevices and weaknesses in a defense, what they do, um, how to manipulate them with shifts and motions, and then to uh, develop a game plan that takes advantage of that multiple times throughout the game. That's something he does better than any OC in the league right now. Yeah, I've been around a lot of football coaches, as have you, at this level and others. I've never seen anybody better at the very thing you described than Andy Reid. Okay, some other things here, though. Starting every series – I went back and looked at this, had to look at it twice, and then a third time. The Texans won the game on October the 13th at Arrowhead Stadium in a fourth-quarter 12-play 93-yard drive. Now, we're in the first quarter of this podcast, but hear me out here. Not just starting the game, but starting every series. Because Houston, in that 12-play 93-yard drive, never had a third down. They were so good on first and second downs, they never got to third down. I don't think I've ever seen that. Another point is, uh, with Deshaun Watson, he's been sacked 44 times. In his five losses shop, he's been sacked 24 times in those five losses. But 17 of those sacks on first down. I'm talking about starting every new series and winning uh, at the early part of every series. Yeah, we, we talk about how hard it is for an offense to get behind the chains. Whenever you have a negative play on first and second down, that puts you in third and long. Everybody knows this mathematically, it's harder to convert third and longs versus third and three and short, three and uh, third and second, third and inches. Uh, offensive coordinators love those downs. They love the second and shorts. Um, that's, that, 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 help, that helps elevate your offensive uh, juices and flows. All those creative plays come out. When you get third and 13, uh, second and 17, it, it kind of dictates what you have to do on that next down. And the Texans, because their offensive line has given up um, so many sacks on that first down, they, it's put them in situations where they've been very predictable. Um, but you go back to that, that fourth quarter drive, giving up a 12-play drive and you never see third down. You, you're never even pressured to thinking about um, I'm converting to keep the drive going. It's positive play, positive play, 12 in a row, um, and, and leading and ending up in the score. Um, defensively, I would say the mentality back in week six was more so it was still in a building phase. We were still putting our foundation together and what we were going to be defensively. I don't even think the scenarios of down and distance was as big of importance as it was the team learning how to communicate, work off of one another, building that trust. Um, so the volume of plays seemed to be more important than, than the results, the process over the product. And I, I, I love the way our team now um, has been built to really key in on those first, first and second down snaps um, to get the offense behind the change like you mentioned. I'm going to throw in the crowd in this one, the 142.2, uh, the loudest crowd in the National Football League. And when it cranks up, we know it's no other. And here's my point. The Houston Texans – have 24 offensive line false starts, 24. Laramie Tunsil, the left tackle, he's a pro bowler. He's an athlete, really good athlete. They picked him up from Miami uh, when Miami was kind of going through that fire sale at the end of training camp. Remember that? Yes, Houston's sir. did a great job. The Texans did a great job of picking him up. He has 12 false starts. That is uh, five more than the next closest dude in the NFL this year. The point is, one way you can win on first down is now all of a sudden you get them into a false start situation. That's first and 15. 
Some teams, I think the Chiefs are a little better to overcome first and 15 than the Texans. But if you get them behind the chains, I go, well, that's with every team. But isn't it the case, Shop, that there are some teams, if you get behind the chains, it makes them unusually uncomfortable? Definitely. And the Texans is one of those teams. Um, you talked about Larry Tunsil having, being personally responsible for half the team's false starts. Yeah. That's, that's a character flaw. That's a, a, a lack in discipline. A single player being responsible for that many um, false starts is something you have to take advantage of. And we have the personnel to do it. Chris Jones, Frank Clark, um, um, T. Sizzle. The, the, the intimidation level um, on that side of the ball coming off that edge has to be at an all-time high. And Chiefs Kingdom, the fan base, the sea of red, roaring at 142.2 decibels each and every play. Not waiting until third down, but each and every play making it so hard for them to communicate between the quarterback and the offensive line. That leads to those false starts, and that plays into the hand of our defense. So if you want to impact this game, the crowd has to be there early, often, and be roaring at an all-time high. We end the first quarter that way. But, again, not just starting off fast in this game in all three phases for the Chiefs. Starting off every new series, even if that's in the fourth quarter. Starting off every quarter uh, or every half. And that segues us into the second quarter of this podcast, this Defending the Kingdom podcast, meaning it's go time. Time for divisional playoff football at Arrowhead against the Houston Texans. Now, second quarter of the podcast kind of deals with the second quarter of these games, and I was fascinated in looking at the wild card games uh, this past weekend. First of all, they're incredibly competitive. All of them went down to the wire, but I could tell when teams got off, it seemed like their 15-play script. Every team's got the dress rehearsal. Here's what we're going to do in the first act of the play. All of a sudden, then, whoosh, whoosh, we can't do this anymore. They're taking it out of it. I thought Buffalo against Houston was particularly that way. Their opening drive was a skilled surgeon. After that, they started to kind of cough and sputter, trying to figure out, did they have any kind of uh, rhythm to them? Now, one thing we have to note about the Kansas City Chiefs in the second quarter, they were the best team in the National Football League with 177 second-quarter offensive points. The Chiefs, best in the NFL in that quarter. But how much is the second quarter of a game, or second quarter here of the podcast, is now you're off the script. Now all of a sudden you can't do everything that you had in dress rehearsal. Man, that second quarter is so important. Like you said, once you get past that first 15 plays, you understand how the defense is going to react to your different personnel. You see how the defense is reacting to shifts in motions. You realize, are they going to be a zone or a man-heavy team? Are they going to blitz you every third down? All of those things that you thought about during the week, now you actually have game film um, actual snaps to either concrete and prove it or to mark it off and, 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 and it becomes something that's not going to happen. So you got that. All those points created by Coach Andy Reid in the second quarter, leading the league. Uh, all-time high. So you got that, that Chiefs offensive coordinator. He's got to go against Romeo Cornell, mm-hmm. a familiar foe, a familiar defense. He's been going against that style of defense year in, year out. He has an encyclopedia amount of philosophies and way to attack Coach Romeo Cornell. Well, on the other side, Romeo Cornell, he has no idea what Andy might do. He knows there's about 100 different – uh, uh, formations and sets and shifts we might do, but he has to try to narrow it down to a handful. And after that 15 plays over, he's going to have a, a feel of, 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 of what the uh, philosophy of our attack scheme is going to be on our offense. And then he's going to have to try to be able to adjust the defense off that. 
And then on the other side, we have Coach Spags. Coach Spags, our defensive coordinator, who's been very uh, fundamentally sound, this building, building, building up until this last six, six weeks. And then they've been so consistent over that last six weeks. And you've seen that success translate into uh, being one of the lowest um, in the league at giving up points. And they got to go against Bill Bryan. Bill Bryan, a guy kind of in that same Patriot mode. And we and we faced that type of offense so many times. Um not knowing the health of Will Fuller, that defense, I mean, that, 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 that Texans offense, it's a night and day difference with or without Will Fuller. And him mm-hmm. not being 100%, the way we attack them on the defensive side, it can be two totally different uh, paths of attacking. But one thing we got to do, if Will Fuller's on the field, we have to be so physical with that guy. You got to hurt hamstring. You got you to hurt groin. Anything lower body for a, a wide receiver, jam him at the line. Make him make adjustments when he doesn't want to make adjustments. That's, if, you, if you're coming in the game a little bit weak, let's test those things out to see if you really built for the noise, see if you really want that smoke. The playoffs also in the second quarter of a game, to me, you go off the script, is also the time when the field flipping happens. I've noticed this so many times. Now, let's talk about uh, this matchup. The Chiefs had the second fewest three and outs this season in the NFL. Just 13% of their possessions were three and outs, and a lot of those were early in the year. The playoff average is 18%. Now, for Houston, they also, they're top eight, I'm sorry, top four in the league in fewest three and outs. But Houston has the ability on special teams. Uh, Brian Anger, a kid that they cut at the end of training camp, not a kid, he's a veteran. They cut him at the end of training camp, brought him back on September the 22nd, and all he did was be second in the NFL in net punting. The Texans are best in every starting field position by an opponent, not only after a kickoff, they're also best at covering punt returns. So here we are, second quarter, you're off the script. But this is when the field starts to shift. These are the nuances that fans need to follow and look for that aren't necessarily as apparent when the grid of the field starts you want it to move red and gold yeah we want to see that um that field being flipped um on the red side right the the Kansas City Chiefs offense starting in uh 35 45 yard line and the Texans started inside their 20 obviously we always give as much credit as we can to Dustin Colquitt he's been phenomenal his career not just one season but his career at starting guys inside not the 20 inside the 10 yard line uh but when we talk about flipping that field offensive mentality do, how how aggressive do you want to be the first few plays of a drive we talked about the the goal being first down first down and then finding a way to attack the defense for a touchdown that creates uh, time of possession that gets you into momentum that gets your offense into a flow it allows you to wear out that defense and it also allows you to have a chance to do what we just said flip that field yeah so for the Chiefs they also have been so vastly improved I think in special teams that's been kind of one of the undercurrents that's been lost with the defensive improvement and the offense uh, staying on the field dictating terms and so before we go to halftime of this podcast we could go also to a late second quarter uh, mention of the game, but that is also dictating terms. Even in the game in October, in following that game against the Texans, there was just this feel that Houston still had the, um, hey, we're bringing you to our table. We're, if we're playing cards, I'm going to name Trump, right? And I didn't, and the Chiefs in the last six games of the season have done just the opposite of that of their opponents. In the second quarter of a game, particularly in a playoff game, is when I sense you kind of try to take like a you know an alpha dog. You try to take, hey, these are on our terms, uh, and we're we've got the flow of this game. Yeah, we we definitely 
understand that there are some game records. Coach Spags does a great job of, of determining what that term means. Guys that going into a game plan can wreck your game. No matter what defense you want to – uh, expose your uh, offense to, no matter how you want to, uh, what kind of philosophy you want to use, there's a guy, D-Hop, right? Uh, Hopkins is a guy who's a game wrecker. If you, if you allow him to have the opportunity to go up, you can play it perfectly. You can have the perfect amount of pressure, and he can throw the uh, – uh, Watson can throw the ball behind his back blind, and D-Hopkins is the type of receiver that can still come down. Uh, come down with the ball and make a play. You want to find a way to eliminate that at all costs. That's one thing that the Bills did an awesome job in the first half. Limiting D. Hopkins to zero catches in the first half of that game was so big for them to create that 16-0 halftime lead. Um, but we're saying that they have a couple wild cards on defense. J.J. Watt, what level of impact is he going to have on the team? That team was what you call dead in the water until a sack, a great sack from J.J. Watt when the Bills were in the red zone about to score that held them to a field goal attempt. J.J. Watt comes. He has a motor. He continues to fight and claw. He, he's one of those wild card guys that no matter what the injury report says, he's going to give you an alpha dog mentality until the game is over. No matter what the scoreboard says, how, how much we are, if we're leading, he's going to come with that same fire all day. So we have to account for those two wild cards on the offense and defense side of the ball. Perfect example. It's a perfect example. When Watt made that sack, in my mind I go, okay, this game could turn right here because he changed the terms of the game. Yeah. All of a sudden now the pressure, even though – the Bills were up 16 to nothing after the field goal. All of a sudden, it felt like they had the pressure on them. What? They're up 16 to nothing. But that game, uh, the tenor of that game switched. All right, we're at halftime of this Defending the Kingdom podcast, which is go time as the Chiefs get ready for a divisional playoff game here against the Houston Texans. You know how it is in this podcast. In a real NFL game, you get 12 minutes. You get one second in Defending the Kingdom podcast style. There. Now we're going to the third quarter, and we remind you that the Chiefs Podcast Network is brought to you by 360 Vodka, the official vodka of the Kansas City Chiefs. All right, third quarter, and this is where now you have had halftime in a real game. You have had 12 minutes, and there are some real adjustments that go on, both scheme adjustments and then individual adjustments. How are you playing me? How am I going to adjust to the way you're playing me inside your head and outside your body? The Chiefs, with the first possession of the second half defensively, this is on Spag's side of the ledger, they are one of the best teams at the start of a second half in uh, disallowing points. They're top four in the league. This is for the season. They've only allowed 23 points by the opponents, and most of these were in the first part of the season in the first possession of a second half. Houston, just the opposite. They're next to last defensively. Only one team is worse because they have allowed 66 points on the first possession of a second half. The adjustments that are made in that 10-minute time where you're sitting or you play this game for 10 years, you also individually have got to go, hey, Holtus is playing me this way. Here's how I'm going to counteract it. What about then the third quarter and the adjustments that have to be made in this quarter? Critical. How you handle the time at halftime to make adjustments off whatever positive plays the, the opponent has had in the first half, you got to come back and you got to have some solutions for it. Every team, if they, they, when you see Andy on the sideline with his call sheet, if there's a positive play, he marks it because he wants to come back to it in the second half to see if you've actually corrected it. Every team does that. So any positive play the Texans get in the first half, during that halftime adjustment, you got Coach House, you got Daly, you got Madison, you got those guys together with Spags working out slight 
adjustments, slight communication things we can do to make sure those plays don't happen again. And you have to – it becomes critical playoff football. The team that makes the, 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 uh, the best adjustments and come out in the second – the game will be won in the second half. It almost doesn't even matter – what the score is going into halftime. At, at halftime, you might as well clear the scoreboard, go 0-0, because if you don't have that mentality, the same thing that happened to the Bills going in 16-0, there was a tale of two halves that ended up going in overtime. You can't allow that mentality to seep in. You got to stay hungry and in, 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 in wanting that victory so bad that you are able to make adjustments and come out with your hair on fire, ready to go at it um, um, that, that third quarter. In talking with Spags this week, he was really, you know, he just mentioned to me both privately and publicly that his staff, he doesn't think has received enough recognition. We've talked to, you and I have talked about on these podcasts, Brandon Daly and House, you just mentioned him, going down the line with Madison and Merritt. And then the other guys, quality control guys and, you know, guys like Alex Winningham and others. But the point is, this is a really good defensive staff. One of the things I've said, and this, I think this has an effect in this Houston game, potentially, is now the Chiefs defense much like Andy Reid, I defy you to watch tape of Andy Reid's offense and go, oh, here's their tendency on third and four. Find it, because I can't, and I've been around him seven years. We're vastly approaching that with Spags. I'm not sure what he's going to do on any down and distance or what he's going to do in a certain personnel category. And to me, that's a very effective weapon, especially when you're dealing with a splendid quarterback and a splendid athlete like Deshaun Watson. Because since training camp, he's understand the goal is not to win week one, win week five. The goal is to progress and become uh, gradually better at every facet of defense and to arrive in the final weeks of the season with so much momentum and so much intensity on the defensive side of the ball, uh, side of the ball that every level of your defense has an elite level of confidence in one another so they can play their coverage, their leverage, uh, up to their uh, utmost ability. And that is what you've been seeing flourish and grow uh, over the last – 10 weeks here in the Chiefs' kingdom to now in the last six weeks, it, it, it's produced. You've seen the product of, of all that hard work and effort, the, the guys in the film room watching film together, the leaders on every level of the ball demanding guys get together so they see things the exact same way. And, and some of those uh, early season mishaps and mistakes are being eliminated. They're being erased off the board because guys have so much confidence, so much trust, uh, because they've been out here on the practice field getting it done. All right. We're going to the fourth quarter of this podcast and the fourth quarter of our analysis of it's on here. It is game time. It's go time uh, with the Houston Texans this week in divisional playoff football. Entering the fourth quarter, people kid me on the play-by-play, and I said it's hammer time. Go get your hammer in the, in the garage, and now we got the whole kingdom doing it. But I say that for a reason. It is hammer time in the fourth quarter. I've got to give kudos here to Watson and to the Houston Texans. Five game-winning drives this year, including against the Chiefs. They commanded that fourth quarter at Arrowhead on October 13th. The other thing is with the Texans, 15 comeback wins in the fourth quarter of the last two years. That's the most in the National Football League. This goes back to your point and Andy Reid's thesis all week long, meaning the fourth quarter just starts the life of this game. Definitely. You know, and this is a team that has a championship mentality, and it starts with their quarterback. Watson is an ultimate competitor. He will, he will battle you 
every snap of every game, he's taken so many sacks. But it's not how many times you get knocked down. It's the fact that he keeps getting back up. And he doesn't get up, wipe himself off, and has his eyes looking down. He is still looking to attack. He's still looking at his alpha dog, D-Hop, to get the ball to and his running game to get going. He's always staying so positive in his in his, uh, in his in his body language with, with the offense. That's what makes that guy such a great competitor and give Houston Texans a great go. But this week, uh, it's week 19 of the season, and the only thing that's on your mind is how can you create week 20? How can we make it one more round, one step further, one level up while we're uh, getting up that mountain, right, Mount Kilimanjaro, the way we've been fighting and climbing every week to succeed? And what I want to know is I want to challenge, and I want to know what is the fan base going to do? We talk about uh, uh, what did the coaches do after 15 plays, but what is the – when things go off the script on the field, mm-hmm. when there's a block punt or there's a big Great return point. or a big play, what is the fan base going to do when the, when the Chiefs face a little bit of negativity? Yep. Do, you, do, you, do you have some fear that creeps in? Or are you so confident in your squad? Are you so 100% sold that this Chiefs team is dedicated and, and, and destined for Miami – that you, you continue to cheer through every snap of every down, losing your voice, losing your mind on Sunday at Arrowhead to cheer your team on to a victory. When you look at this Chiefs team, and this is a little bit, you can go back and, and listen to last week's podcast and archive really the season. But when you look at this Chiefs team, is so better suited to win in the fourth quarter than even the team last year. Think about the game-winning drive by Mahomes against Detroit. Gutsy play. Uh, the defense getting two three-and-outs against Minnesota the, and Butker making the kicks. Uh, closing out the game in Mexico City by Sorensen. Closing out the game against the Chargers at home with the pick by Sorensen at the end of the game. But this team is better. They're closing out the New England Patriots when they're at the five-yard line in Foxborough. That, that probably ended their season. Uh, this Chiefs team is just built. I want to ask you, too, specifically, though, the four-minute offense in uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs to me seems so much better, uh, meaning and uh, the last home game has started at 5.13 on the clock, but the four-minute offense, which is, and Eric Bieniemy told me about it this week, running the ball when they know you're going to run it and you still take the ball and go home. Let's be honest. That's what Houston did to us on October the 13th, but this Chiefs team has been doing it to others particularly in the last two months of the season. Man, it's a mentality. It's a mindset of greatness. It's it's a mindset that you're willing to get down, get dirty, get gritty, do whatever you have to do to create another week of football for your team to survive and move on. And Coach Eric Bieniemy, if there's one thing he's been, it's an emotional, it's a it's a leader as far as men getting mentally prepared especially in his room when it came to the running backs. He would take a running back from anywhere, don't matter when you drafted, but you had a mindset of being such a grimy, gritty running back, ball security matters, ball security matters, that you grinded that into your head. You are not you are not where you are from, you're where you're at. Right now, you're part of a championship team, and it's one, it is one focus, one goal. Do whatever you have to do to keep those chains moving, to secure a victory, and to survive and play off football. Coach Eric B. Enemy, I think, is one of the leaders – as far as the emotional, uh, um, the emotional uh, forefront in the league at getting guys ready and pumped 
uh, when you talk about one drive needing one first down to go win a ball game, and that's that four-minute closing out the game scenario you just mentioned. If I was in the choir loft, I would be saying amen, amen brother, brother, to that. Amen, amen. But this offensive line, too, oh, yes. Fisher's drilling dudes. Uh, the Duvernay Tardif, the Canadian doctor, says I'm feeling better than I have since the beginning of the season. He's drilling dudes. I think Stefan Wisniewski and the fact that this guy won a Super Bowl two years ago at that left guard position uh, has been a key element to the offensive line. We know about Schwartz and Ryder because they got some brontosauruses across from him in this game. To me, that's a big part of the Houston success are those guys that are in those A gaps that can wreck your world right in the middle of that offense. That was the key play, Amenahu hitting uh, uh, Mahomes and knocking the ball out at the end of the second quarter in the game on October 13th. The four-minute offense and throughout the game, you're going to have to block those brontosauruses. Yeah, every play matters and every play plays a piece in building up to that final, uh, the, the, the crescendo, right? The, 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 the culmination of all 70 or 80 plays for that last drive to matter. Both teams will be fighting and clawing and whichever coaching staff prepare has their team prepared to, to play every snap, every drive like it matters because it does will be the team that has the ball and, and ability to close the game out um, late in the ball game. And I think the Kansas City Chiefs have done so many things all season long. We can't even review all the, 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 the situational football that got them ready for this moment in time to be here with the uh, number two seat, first, second round playoff home game against the Houston Texans, getting ready for a little retribution um, and, uh, and get a little uh, um, payback from a week six loss. Uh, now we're full strength. Now we can go at it. Let's go toe-to-toe. And I always talk about that Thunderdome mentality. Mm. Thunderdome. Two teams enter, one team moves on. It will be. It has to be. It's going to be your Kansas City Chiefs. (laughs) We're going to close this way in the last minute and a half. Two guys I want to bring up here. It's a big game for them, for the Chiefs. Tyron Matthew, the Honey Badger, the Kingdom Landlord. He has never won a playoff game. Tyron Matthew's never won an NFL playoff game. Two, Frank Clark. We know Frank Clark's an alpha dog on the defensive line. Frank has never won a divisional playoff game. Two wild card wins. If those two cats win this game, it's a big deal to them for a lot of reasons. But they will have done something they've never done in what has been so far a very illustrious career. Big moments, big deals, big uh, milestones in their career. But the one thing I love about the way this team is brought together is that the last minute, the last hour, we bought T-Sizzle a guy with Super Bowl credentials into the locker room to let those guys know every time you take another step up, that is not our goal. I appreciate it. I applaud you. Let's be happy for a few hours. But let's not, that, let's not take for granted. Let's not forget for one moment. We are brought together to be great. We're not going to let good keep us from being great. This will be the greatest season of Chiefs history and it's created by the players we have in the locker room. Each and every player giving their all for their brother, having trust, communication, and loving to go out and kick somebody's rear end. Now the elders and the deacons are saying amen <laughs> to my man, the barbershop. It is go time, Chiefs Kingdom. Go time. He is Sean Barber, 10-year NFL veteran. I'm Mitch Holtis, voice of the Chiefs. Thanks for joining us on this edition of Defending the Kingdom Go time. Bring it 142.2. Get a false start on that very first series. You've been challenged.
Thanks for listening to the Chiefs Official Podcast Network. Ten, five, touchdown! Lock it down! And the celebration begins in Arrowhead.